0: The next day the rulers the elders and the teachers of the law met in jerusalem annas the high priest was there and so were caiaphas john alexander and others of the high priest family they had peter and john brought before them and began to question them by what power or what name did you do this then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is a stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly.
1: All right, yeah, that's my assistant, Jen Burns. Jenna, appreciate her. She does a great job for me, great job reading the scripture. Uh, welcome to Daylight Savings Time. You lost an hour of sleep, but it's spring starting this week, so here we go, right? Good to have you with us. If you're new, exploring, maybe you have a church background, maybe not. We hope you find this is a good place to check out and may- maybe put down some roots. But I will tell you we're going to do something a little bit different today because we're talking about being bold. So I'm going to ask you to do something bold, all right, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. In just a moment, I'm going to have you get out of your seats and take 10 steps towards somebody. You may know them, you may not. And if you don't, introduce yourself and you're going to tell them your favorite restaurant, your current favorite restaurant and why it should be theirs too. Okay? So think about it. Get, get, get your favorite restaurant in mind. All right. So here we go. Get up. Take at least 10 steps and you're only going to spend 10 seconds, 10 seconds telling them the superiority of your restaurant. <laughs> Testify to it. that's long enough. Some of you are just a little bit too passionate about your food. Take a seat. (laughs) All right, well, how did that feel? All right, well, you know, that may not have been a very bold thing for you to do here because, let's face it, it's safe here. Nobody's going to think you're rude or offensive for doing that. And uh, there's really nothing at stake when you do it. And speaking of stake, the correct answer is Black Rock uh, you know, cooking in that butter. But, you know, that, that's a subjective opinion, personal preferences. But when it comes to telling people about Jesus, man, that's not a, just a subjective preference. I mean, when we're talking about the most important thing, you know, what, what's really at stake is their eternal destiny, whether they're going to believe in him and follow him. And yet, here we go. We have no problem telling people our favorite restaurant or whether we, about a great movie or recommending a a doctor or a mechanic or, or, or a, you know, a plumber to them, but we have trouble talking to people about Jesus, don't we? And then, you know, here we go. We're, we're going to jump back into the book of Acts here to the history book of the new Testament about the early church, the book of Acts and, uh, how the Holy spirit drove those first Christians to take the good news of Jesus to the whole world and how they lived out their faith and that's the kind of church we want to see restored. So we saw in Acts chapter 1 how Jesus commissioned his disciples to become apostles, sent them out to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, and then Jesus ascends to heaven. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends upon Uh, God's people, and Peter and the other apostles proclaim the good news of Jesus. 3,000 people respond by being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the church is born. Chapter 3 is when Peter and John heal a crippled uh, beggar, and that gives Peter the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus once more, which brings us to chapter 4, which you just heard read, how this miracle and his message brought on the first persecution of those Christians and it shouldn't be shouldn't be surprised because Jesus warned them about that earlier in John 15:20 he says if they persecuted me they'll persecute you and that continues right down to this day. Christians around the world in many places continue to be persecuted by government officials, by religious groups, that they're, they get beaten, they're tortured, they have uh, their property confiscated, they lose everything, sometimes they're even killed. And you say, well, what does that have to do with me? We're not being persecuted like that here. Right, thank God we're not. But there are forms of subtle persecution going on, and we always need to be ready for things to get worse because the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, he says, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be Persecuted. All right. And look, we don't want to be overly sensitive and and play the victim here because we've got it pretty good. But there are subtle ways that Christians are discriminated against in our culture that we can be, we get reviled, we get disparaged, we get penalized in certain things. And that can come from the government and the courts, but more often it just comes from the culture, right? From the media and the arts and the entertainment and the business world and academia but look, we're not not experiencing any kind of overt persecution, all right? Nobody's getting thrown to the lions around here, all right? Which, you know, it wouldn't matter anyway. Nobody's really scared of the lions today, at least in this area. Nobody's worried about that. But there are ways that we are experiencing some covert persecution. And, you know, it's probably only going to get worse. You say, that can never happen here. Yes, it can. It just always depends on who holds the power and the levers of influence. And so we shouldn't be surprised as our culture grows more secular, more post-Christian, that it becomes more hostile and critical of us. For now, it's just kind of under the radar a little bit. I mean, we we get ridiculed sometimes. We get marginalized. We get ostracized. Sometimes Christians get run out of business. A lot of times we're, they try to shame us, to silence us. And I think it's okay. As long as we keep our faith to ourselves. the world's all right with us. They'll let it go. They won't bother us. But when we speak out, when we try to convince other people to become Christ followers too, that's when the opposition and the oppression starts. As long as we keep our mouths shut, we can just blend in with everybody else. But the moment we open our mouth, then the trouble starts. And you know what? You could probably talk about God all day long and nobody will care because it's kind of a generic God. Everybody has their own version of what God they create in their own image. But when you use the J word, when you invoke the name of Jesus, now you got trouble because you've given God a personality. You've made God a real person. And so our big idea is we're bold because we're confident that we have the truth and the spirit of Christ. Okay, that's why we can be bold we know it's true and we know his spirit is with us and in us and look what i want us to use peter and john in acts 4 as models for how to deal with persecution to be bold in speaking out for christ because these look remember these are guys who weren't bold they were they bailed remember in the garden of gethsemane when jesus gets arrested these guys weren't bold they bailed they ran for their lives Now give them credit, Peter and John are the two that at least show up a little bit later. When Jesus is on trial, they're hanging around outside kind of keeping things, you know, on the down low. They don't want anybody to know they're there. Uh, But Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. This guy who said, Lord, even if everybody else uh, leaves you, I never will, I'll die with you. And then as soon as he gets confronted by a servant girl, man, he starts cowering in fear, denies his Lord. And so now here we are, we're just a few weeks later, And now Peter and John are the ones that are on trial before this very same group that Jesus was on trial before. This time, though, they're unafraid to stand up for Jesus, unlike a few weeks before. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. They had seen the risen Christ, and they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. That changed everything. And that's one of the main reasons those first Christians advanced so incredibly because of their boldness. They were unafraid to speak up for Jesus, even to suffer for their Lord, even if it meant costing them their lives. They were confident of the truth and of the Spirit's presence with them. I think today we have far too many Christians still in the Secret Service. We're undercover, underground kind of Christians. I wonder about you. Are you a bold believer or are you a cowardly Christian? Are you like all in? when you're around other believers, but then when you get out among people who may not hold your faith, who may disagree with you, then you start to, to back off, you start to, you start to uh, shut up, be cautiously quiet. And I wonder, am I willing really to be shunned, to be ridiculed, to be rejected, to be misrepresented? Maybe even, would I be willing to die for Jesus? We wanna be nice people, don't we? But being nice doesn't mean being docile. And we want to be meek people, but meek doesn't mean weak. We want to be agreeable, but agreeable doesn't mean spineless. We are, yes, the sheep of the Lord's flock, but we also follow the lion of Judah. And so we combine that gentleness of lambs with the fierceness of lions, and we've got the same truth, and we've got the same spirit within us, so we can be bold. And these first Christians, you know, they're being persecuted by religious people, right? It was the Jewish leaders were persecuting them out of a misguided uh, 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 zeal for their religion, a a hypocrisy, uh, a jealousy. And that still goes on in many parts of the world when you're in a culture that's dominated by a religious group that's antagonistic to your faith. And that's why in many parts of the world that are dominated by Muslims or by Hindus or other antagonistic faiths. It's very dangerous. It's unsafe to proclaim yourself a Christian to speak out for Jesus. That's why in, in it's, it's dangerous to even live in those places in, in across the Middle East, across Northern Africa, in India. It's even unsafe for a Christian sometimes to travel to those places because of that kind of misguided religious persecution. Now in other places, it's more of a secular religion of Marxism, right? In communist countries like North Korea, China, Cuba, it's dangerous there too. Right now, there are Christians living fearlessly in the face of severe persecution because it's not legal for them to speak out for Jesus or try to win somebody to Christ. You will go to jail for that. You will be beaten for that. You will have your property taken away from you. You will be sold as a slave. You might even be killed for your faith. It's a serious commitment to claim I am a Christ follower, and I wonder how serious we're about it here. Those first-century Christians, though, A little bit later, they began facing persecution, not from the religious people, but from the Roman empire. And I think in a lot of ways, we live in that same kind of culture today, because it was uh, uh, the empire was made up of a lot of different religious viewpoints. And there was a lot of tolerance for whatever kind of spirituality you wanted to practice, as long as you didn't claim yours was the only one, as long as the only ones that got persecuted were the Christians who spoke out and said, there's only one. Jesus is God and we reject your idolatries and your immoralities. They spoke out against the empire's values or lack of values and that's what got them in so much trouble. And I think that's where we are today. The movers and shakers of our culture have embraced that kind of worldview. And you, you know, and you can get up and you can say all kinds of things about Christianity today that you can't say about any other minority group. And yes, we are a minority. I know there's a majority of people who tend to identify as Christian, but they're not necessarily Christian. They just have a kind of spirituality that they call Christian. But realistically, truly Bible-believing people who believe and practice the scriptures, I, that's less than 10% of the population. Those are the ones that get called all the names, bigoted and hateful and uneducated and you name it. All the things that you can never say about any other kind of uh, racial or religious or sexual community, but you can say it about Christians all day long and that's fine. I think Pastor, author Larry Osborne says it well. He says, our biblical values have become scandalous within a relatively short time. Jesus and the Bible have gone from being widely honored, though <laughs> maybe marginally practiced, to being uh, mildly tolerated, to being politically incorrect, to now being widely vilified and considered a dangerous threat. That's where we are. And I know today that if I would teach on some biblical values, uh, that it would be called hate speech. In fact, in some parts of the Western world, I could even get in trouble legally for teaching what the Bible says because freedom of speech is being clamped down on. And again, I'm not saying here that what we're going through is anything compared to what Christians elsewhere or in the past have gone through. Again, we've got it really easy here compared to that, but make no mistake, the culture will grow more hostile to us. The question is not if, it's only how long will it take? Because look, speaking up for Jesus, I think is getting tougher and tougher. It ain't for sissies, it ain't for wimps because Jesus wasn't a wimp, right? I mean, the idea of you got to go against the flow, you got to stop following the crowd, that's tough. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily. We're fearful to stand out, to be different. In fact, (laughs) probably the greatest fear that many people have is public speaking. Like, I don't know that God is ever calling you to speak in front of a crowd. He may be. I don't know. But I do know this. He's told every one of us to go and tell people the good news about Jesus. Because if we don't, who's going to do it? And that can be tough to do. I mean, it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not just something for ministers and evangelists. Every Christian is called to spread the good news of Jesus. And it's right. Can I tell you that I still get nervous telling people about my faith? I'm fine right here. I can talk all day long to you guys. But you put me out in the world and I get a little weak in the knees. And sometimes I'll admit it. I'll wimp out too because it's tough. But listen, it it doesn't mean you're ever going to stop feeling fearful but it's not about the feelings. All right. Courage is not a a feeling of fearlessness. It's overcoming your fear. It's facing your fear. That's what makes you fearless. And guys like me, I mean, preachers, yeah, we're expected to be bold, right? I mean, everybody thinks that we we have no problem being bold in our faith. And that's why they don't take us seriously because they expect it of us. Well, of course. And, you know, we don't hold any respected place in society anymore. Guys like me are looked on as hucksters and and cranks and kooks these days, right? It's you who hold the credibility today. You guys who are just going about your regular business, going to school, but have a deep devotion for Christ and a... Gracious boldness—you're the ones that have credibility because you're not. It, it's not your job, okay? You're not clergy, and so they're going to give you a listening to to you and not to me because you know they already have a stereotype of me. But they'll listen to you. They're not going to write you off like they will me. Look at what the apostle Paul says. That this is a great verse for us to all say out loud together from Second Timothy one seven. Here we go. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. But of, of love, self-discipline. That's the spirit you got. You say, how do I get that? Well, you got it through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives you that kind of spirit. And, you know, one of the things you see over and over in Scripture is fear not, fear not, fear not. Why? Because the Lord is with you. He'll help you. He'll give you the words when you need them at the right time. He'll strengthen you. Because of that, you can be courageous. You can be fearless and bold. And yet we still excuse it by saying, well, no, oh, no I'm, it's not me. I'm too shy. I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert, um, I, 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 might, I might fail, I might offend somebody. And so we excuse ourselves, we shrink back and remain silent and just hope that God will send somebody else to tell people about Jesus. And I would have to say that maybe some of you need to repent of your shyness, repent of your quietness. And those of you who you don't like conflict maybe need to repent of cowardice because you've been given a spirit of of power and of love and of self-discipline and he can make you bold. He can make you bold so that you can share that love of Jesus with others. And look, boldness isn't being a jerk. It's not getting in people's face and being all rude and arrogant. Peter and John weren't like that. They were very respectful, but they didn't back down and they didn't cave in. Even when they got thrown in prison, right? Those religious leaders had every right to question them, to interrogate them about what they were teaching. What they didn't have the right to do was to arrest innocent men and to refuse to examine the evidence and to try to intimidate them into silence. But what's even cooler to see is Peter and John don't back down, but the the fearlessness of the crowd, because they're watching this, they see what happens to these two guys. And yet many of them become believers. They see the danger involved, and yet they throw their hat in with these Christians and say, I want to be one of those too, even though it might cost them their property, it might cost them their jobs, it might cost them their lives. I want to follow this Jesus too. And and the number grew to 5,000 men, which meant there was probably a lot more because there's women and children too and they weren't counted. That was just the culture of the time, like feeding in the 5,000. So there's thousands and thousands of people now while these two guys are are in the courtroom in front of this Jewish Supreme Court, this Sanhedrin, and they stand in in the middle of their little semicircle here and they start questioning them. Who gave you the authority to do this? I love that. This, this what? This miracle, say it. You won't even say miracle because you'd have to admit God did it. Jesus had promised them earlier that he would give them the words at such a time as this. Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Jesus says, for you will be handed over to the courts and beaten in the synagogues. And you must stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. And this will be your opportunity. Ah, It's an opportunity. To tell them about me he has to witness to the world do we view that as opportunity these tough situations well when you're arrested don't worry about what you're going to say in your defense because you'll be given the, the right words what's that that's the truth you've got the truth at the right time for it won't be you doing the talking it'll be what who it'll be the spirit of your father speaking through you be confident you've got the truth you've got the spirit so you can be bold all right don't back down no matter what the cost So Peter does just that. He says, I'm going to turn the table on these judges and I'm going to put them on trial. You know what? This Messiah that God promised you long ago, you just rejected him and you killed him. You're the ones that are guilty. Even quotes from the same psalm that Jesus quoted from when he was on trial in front of the same Sanhedrin. Jesus says in Matthew 21, didn't you ever read the scripture? The stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous to see that Jesus is the stone God chose him to build his kingdom on he is the foundation and yet they threw him out and you know why Peter is so confident he can stand up and quote that to these guys because he had seen the risen Christ changed everything and that only validated God validated every single thing Jesus did every single claim he made it was true And so he could stand in front of these guys and say, you tried to undo God's plan, but guess what? He undid your plan. You killed him, but he brought him back to life. He's alive and he's Lord. So there. What are you going to do? Acts 4.12 is a real key to understanding salvation. And this is a verse that we all ought to say out loud together as well. And one that we really ought to memorize. Here we go. Salvation is found, everybody, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by which mankind must be saved. My version is a little bit different. Sorry, that's the one I memorized. (laughs) But you get it, the main point here, I don't care what translation you use, no other name, only Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute. The world world looks at this as crazy. Like, you can't say your way is the only way. That is so narrow-minded and bigoted and offensive to claim that your religion's better than other religions, that other religions are false. How can you say that? How can you make that claim when we know that that God doesn't care what you believe, as long as you're sincere, all roads lead to heaven. I'm sorry. Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the father except through me. He's the only way. You've got a problem with me saying that. Your problem's not with me. It's with Jesus. He said it. I'm just quoting him. Say, well, okay, fine. You you can say Jesus is a good way, maybe even a better way. You could even say Jesus is the best way, but you can't say he's the only way. I don't know. When a man is able to live the way he lived and teach the things he taught and do the miracles he did and prophesy his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm going to believe whatever he says. I'm with him. If he says he's the only way, he's the only way. And it's not not because we believe Christians are any better than anybody else. We're not, we're just, we wanna be humble and we wanna be tolerant, but tolerance doesn't mean Equal, doesn't mean all views are equal because truth matters and there is only one narrow road. If there were any other way, then Jesus would have suffered for nothing. If there's some other way, he died for nothing. Following the way of Muhammad and the Quran isn't gonna give you forgiveness and get you into heaven. Following the philosophies of Hinduism and the teachings of Buddha aren't going to keep you out of hell and following the Book of Mormon and the Watchtower isn't gonna do you one bit of good on Judgment Day because none of them are true. None of them can offer life because none of them are the way. There's only one way. And I know that's an exclusive claim. There's no other way. Yeah, because he's an exclusive Savior. He's the only one. But he's an exclusive Savior who makes the most inclusive invitation ever. He says anybody can be saved. He wants the whole world to be saved. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 2. God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the what? The truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile us to God, God and people. Who is it? He is the man, Christ Jesus, and he gave his life. Nobody else did that for you to purchase freedom for who? For everyone. How more inclusive can you get it? He did it for everybody. Anybody can be saved who comes to faith in Christ. Now, the Sanhedrin, they notice that there's something different about Peter and John. They're just ordinary men, but they'd been with Jesus. And I wonder if anybody notices anything different about you. Do you just blend in with everybody else? Or do they notice you've been with Jesus? And they notice that they were unschooled men. You know, Jesus didn't say to the disciples, sorry guys, can't use you until you get your seminary degree. You know, you, no, yeah, we want to study the Bible. We want to be solid in our doctrine. We want to be able to explain our faith. But what galled these religious leaders so much is that They were the ones in charge. They had gone to the best schools by the great rabbis. How dare these unschooled guys uh, presume to teach? But what they didn't understand is that these guys had spent several semesters, day and night, in the school of Jesus, learning at the feet of the master. And I'm wondering how much time you're spending with Jesus learning from his word. You know, all the Sanhedrin could do is threaten them and intimidate them. Don't speak any more about this, Jesus. You need to shut up. Sorry, he's already told us to go tell the world, can't. Uh, Francis Chan is a pastor and author, uh, very popular here in the States. He left his megachurch a few years back to travel to the Far East to see what the church was like over there. And he, he ended up in China where Christianity is persecuted. A few years ago, he says, I was in Beijing speaking to pastors who used to lead underground churches. And now that oppression was easing up in China, they had been given more freedom. So they began ta- taking their churches above ground. They rented building, buildings and they started running services the way we do in America. And it was great for a while. But these pastors became so discouraged. They began talking about the good old days when their people were risking their lives and radically sharing the gospel and making disciples. But now these pastors were lamenting the way their people just attended services and expected the leaders to feed them and take care of them and cater to them. And all anybody now wanted was a Jesus and a church that served their needs and kept them comfortable. What started as a movement became a bunch of people sitting safely in services. Now, by the way, persecution has ramped way back up in China since then. Then Francis says, my mind flashed back to five years prior when my daughter and I went to an underground gathering in China and young people were praying so passionately, begging God to send them to the most dangerous places. They were actually hoping to die as martyrs. I'd never seen anything like it. And I still can't get over the fearless passion for Jesus this church embodied. And as they shared their stories of persecution, they asked me why I was so intrigued. And I told them, the church in America is nothing like this. I can't tell you how embarrassing it was to try to explain to them that people attend 90-minute services once a week in buildings in what we call church. I told them about how people switch churches if they find better teaching, more exciting music, or more robust programs for their kids. And as I described church life in America, they began to laugh. Not just small chuckles, but laughing hysterically. Laughing at us. Pretty convicting, isn't it? What are we praying for as a church today? I mean, do, do we even get together with other people to pray like the early Christians did? Do you have a group where you could get together and pray together like this? And I don't mean just praying for each other's sick relatives. I mean, nothing wrong with that, but are we praying like the early church? Because look at that. They prayed, enable your servants, Lord, empower your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Is that your prayer? They're not praying for safety and ease and comfort. They're praying for courage. And we need to be praying for that same kind of boldness today to speak out for Jesus with grace and guts. And we've got the truth. We've got the spirit. Let's be bold. What are the results? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, an earthquake, and they were all filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And what's the result? They spoke the word of God boldly. You get filled with the spirit. You speak boldly. Who does the spirit want you to speak to boldly? Let's pray about that. Father, would you shake us up, shake up our church, shake us out of complacency and comfort, shake us out of our fear of telling people about Jesus, fear of inviting them to church. Shake us out of our comfort zones, Lord, and fill us with your spirit. Descend on our church, Holy Spirit, we want you. We need your your presence and your power. We need you to help us speak your word boldly, to take it to our family and friends and our neighbors all over Downriver. Help us to pray like the early church. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. We're praying that in Jesus' name. Amen.